verse 4. certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. says Jude, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed or could be better rendered undetected, dealing with the creep squad. That's what I want to talk about this morning, dealing with the creep squad. For those of you who may be unfamiliar, the creep squad is a four-member brotherhood on the popular reality show Love and Hip Hop New York whose composition is a group of ominous men who specialize in creeping into the lives of women and utilizing manipulation, deception, exploitation for the cause and purpose of self-gratification. Their names are Rich Dollars, with a Z, Peter Guns, with a Z, Cisco Rosato, and DJ Self. They labeled themselves as the Creep Squad and identified themselves as the Beast of the Streets in Atlanta, Miami, Los Angeles, and New York with the purpose of slashing the particulars of women's emotional stability who are driven by what they believe to be their body symmetry as eye candy for personal fulfillment. Whether we're talking about Erica Mena or Mariah Lynn, Amina or Tara or Cardi B, simply stated the Creep Squad has crept into their lives and crept into the lives of many female of the community serving individuals. They will reside to enemy coercion when push comes to shove. Like the Sadducees and the Pharisees who disliked each other but joined forces to resolve a similar problem, the elimination of Jesus. They put their differences aside because at that moment of war or being at war with each other was not quite beneficial for the creep squad. And yet when the radical, influential, transformative Jesus threatened their popularity and the economics of both the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they joined forces to kill Jesus and impose havoc on that infant community 
that would eventually become known as the church of Jesus Christ. Yet here in the text, Jude says that a creep squad has crept into the church with an objective of reaping havoc and replacing Jesus as Lord and Savior. Read verse 3 again very critically and notice that the words contend earnestly for the faith. The phrase contend earnestly actually is one single word in the Greek implying that the fighting for the faith encouraged by Jude is both costly and agonizing. The warning to not permit the cheapening of the Christian message is reduced to a set of prepositions and legalistic actions performed and then the absenteeism and the permeating of every aspect of political, social, and personal life is what the creep squad desires to do. In other words, they don't want to see Jesus in the lives of every aspect of human existence just in particular areas because that might mean that Jesus actually might have impact in changing people's lives. In other words, Jude is raising our consciousness that this Christian message to which we are responsible for handling is not merely restricted to the church setting. In fact, Jude may ask us to ask ourselves the question, why do you think God became man in the purpose of Jesus and camped out among human life merely so that he could demonstrate how his involvement in every single aspect of human existence is God-ordained. But notice when you're reading the text, there's the use of the word for, as we began in verse 4, a subordinating and coordinating conjunction that connects the clause that follows as well as to the previous clause so that the sentence may help us understand what the reader should gain in reading the text. Notice in verse 3, there's an admonishment again to fight for the faith, but it is followed by this conjunction for because the creep squad says, Jude, certain people have crept in, slithered in, cunned their way in like snakes, or as the revised English version says, they have wormed their way in unnoticed. So Jude reflects that the situation that we're reading here is nothing more than a second reflection of Genesis chapter 3 where the serpent has slithered his way into the garden and was more craftier than any other creature yet deceiving the occupants who composed the garden. And this is the only place in the text where the word creep is actually in secretly or to insinuate oneself by the idea of being stealth. Creeping in so smoothly that nobody would ever detect that there's a creep squad in the house. Or they get in by the side, says one translation. So in other words, they don't come straight in, they come sideways in with a suggestion that they don't want to be early detected. They don't, they don't come through the front door opening, announcing their beliefs or lifestyle. They come in through the side door in an attempt to deceive and yet go unnoticed. 
The aim to get and to be accepted and trusted and be even elected to church office, bringing others of their kind, taking over the function of the machinery, monopolizing where they can, only to discover that too late, those who do detect that the creep squad is with us, but they do so so late that the rank and file, when they finally do wake up, the creep squad is too deeply entrenched and they can't get them out. And if they do, it's going to take a fight and a full-scale war to oust them, and which further means there's going to be casualties in the process. So Jude says that the creep squad are ungodly persons. Who, says the text, do ungodly deeds in verse 15? And who follow in verse 18 their own ungodly lust? So the word connotes that someone who's part of the creep squad may very arguably be without religion. Or, as Paul says, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They have a form of religion, but they don't know the God of their faith. In other words, they fail to worship they deliberately do things that are contrary to God's word. They have no reverence for holy things, no awe of God at all, no fear of God, and they are ungodly and unbelieving by deliberate choice, says the scripture. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1. He says, and if it's true that you utilizing the same material that Peter is utilizing, if it's true, there is a correlation here. Listen to what Peter says, 2 Peter 2 and 1. False prophets also arise among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly, who will secretly, who will secretly the creep squad secretly crept in, says Jude. He just changes the word. They've crept in among us unnoticed. But Peter says they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, who brings them to swift destruction and brings swift destruction among themselves. And listen to what Peter says. Peter says that it's a shame because they have yet to recognize the very existence of their life and the very grace of God has kept them and yet they creep into the context of the church rather than to help but to bring about hindrance. And they creep in with a spirit that they are not going to enhance but they're going to find a way to enthrone themselves. So that they can create, around what the creep squad does, whenever destruction has been havoc wreaked in the house, before you know it, they're gone. They move out because they've already achieved their agenda, and that is to create havoc and to turn people's lives upside down. And Peter says they will be there and they won't be outside the church, they're going to show up inside the house. And he says in verse 2, and many will follow their own sensuality and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. Better translated, the way of truth, the gospel will be altered, changed, adjusted that it might fit the expectation of what the creep squad desires. And then he says in verse 3, and in their own greed they will exploit you 
with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. In other words, God sees it. God knows it. And in due time, God will handle the creep squad. That, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow for Lord. I'd like to help you handle the squad, but God says, no, I, I, I got the squad. You just let me do what I do. Says the text, they are ungodly persons who are marked. Look at Jude 4. Jude 4 says they, they were there beforehand prophetically already condemned. Which is a horrible conclusion because what they do is resemble the life of Judas Iscariot. Listen to verse 4 again. Long beforehand, they were marked out for condemnation. If you read Psalm 41 and verse 9, it clearly tells you long beforehand, Judas is already marked out for condemnation. That just means that it's sad when God already says prophetically, you're going to be a mess in the church. You're going to create havoc and you're going to be problematic. And no matter what I do for you, you still will not follow my word. Zechariah even foretold for us the selling, the selling. Talk about prophecy and what will happen beforehand. Zechariah foretells for us the selling of Jesus for 30 pieces of silver in Zechariah 11 and verse 12 and 13. Yet God has a purpose in providing these prophetic moments. And these moments are to enlighten us and to alert us and to warn us and to strengthen our confidence that the scriptures is divinely inspired. In other words, if you look at the text, it's amazing if you sit back and look at what you currently see and then reflect on what the scripture has already prophetically spoken thousands of years before we arrive to where we are now. And yet God is saying unto us that I already know that in my church it will not only be a congregation of people, but there will be a people known as the creep squad. They crept in unnoticed. In other words, he's arguing that there's a Peter Guns, that there's a Rich Dollar, that there's a Cisco Rosado, and there's a DJ Self in everybody's church. And the creep squad is all over the place. And they're reaping havoc in my house. And God says, I'm just telling you beforehand. It's a reflection of, of grandmama's wisdom when she can already see before you even launch into the action. That's not going to be a good behavior for you. The end not going to look well. I'm here to tell you it's just not going to turn out the way you think it is. And when you launch out only to come back and tell grandmama you were so right. Grandmama tried to tell you before you launched out. It's a prophetic utterance that we got in the text that God is telling us beforehand, don't be alarmed, but you will have a creep squad in the house. They're going to be there. And on one hand, he says, it's a bad thing. But on the other hand, they're in the right place. Because you, if you ever expect to redeem them, one place they should be able to find redemption is in the place where redemption reigns high. So notice what Jesus does for us. Jesus knowing that there's a creep squad out for him, he makes clear that there will always be those within the sheepfold who will not pass through the door. 
Read John 10. He makes it clear that there'll be some who will climb up some other way and who will always be a menace to the sheep. Have you ever noticed it's a shame, but it's a reality. No matter how smooth things are going, somebody and something going to mess it up. There's going to be an opinion, there's going to be an issue, there's going to be a feeling, there's going to be a something where someone going to find a way to create a problem. And the unfortunate thing is, all you need is just one drop. For just one ounce of a virus can become contagious as it spreads among others. So it is when the creep squad just drops one ounce of drama. It travels all over the house. And Jesus said in John 10 that the thief comes not but for to kill, to steal, and destroy. In other words, Jesus says he doesn't call them a creep squad. He calls them thieves. That they're coming into the house to steal from the sheep what makes the sheep viable. What makes them alive and what makes them strong and what makes them with vitality the thief comes to rob the sheep of that, of that which keeps them alive. And yet the objective of the creep squad was to change the critical part of the Christian message. Listen to what Jude said. They attempted to cheapening the saving grace of God, look at verse 4, by turning it into lasciviousness or licentiousness. Jude says they take the grace of God and make it a license to sin. Their rationale is this. If God's grace is greater than all my sin, then the more I sin, the more God will exhibit his grace. And that's the same lie that they were being fed in Galatia. So Paul writes his letter to the Galatians to remind him, don't take the grace and the mercy of God for granted. Just because God forgives you for your sin doesn't mean he gives you a license to go out and do whatever you want. Translations trying to tell the creep squad, just because you got the, the skills to be a creep, don't be a creep. For my forgiveness is what sets you free. But if you allow yourself to get involved in being a creep in the house, I will creep you out of my house in a very unusual way to let everybody know you don't want to be a part of the creep squad. So Paul says, to deal with this issue of taking the grace of God for granted or for turning it into lasciviousness, he says in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, he raises a question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. In other words, he argues, you don't just voluntarily participate in an activity or a group of folk that you know are up to no good. And Paul argues in Romans 6 that I'm not going to let you hide behind I didn't know. Or I don't want to know. I just want to come and serve. I don't want to know what y'all doing over there. I'm just going to do my thing and roll. Paul says, oh no, you are not going to be excused with that. In fact, the grace of God, says Paul, will hold you accountable for it because it's the same grace that keep bringing you deliverance from the very attitude that you keep trying to be sucked back into by the enemy himself. 
So Jude says that these creep squad folk were marked beforehand. That is a critical piece of information. In other words, God is trying to tell you, I saw it, but unfortunately, I got to let you live it out. You ever had one of those contexts where there were people involved in your life and they kind of wreaked a little bit of a havoc and you said, Lord, I wish you had told me. And God said, I did. I tried to tell you. But you wouldn't listen to me because you knew more about them than I do. So as a result, the best way for me to do is let them go ahead and experience you. So not only did they deny the effect of grace, look at the text, not only the effect of grace, but they denied Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jude sounds the alarm that we must ask and reaffirm, here it is, what we believe ourselves about Christ. He says, we must raise a question, who is he to me? Who is he to me? Who is Christ to me? When I was wrestling with that question, I couldn't help but remember that we don't sing the old hymn anymore in church. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all, he is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I'm sad, to him I go. No other can cheer me so. When I'm sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. We don't sing that anymore. It's a choice selection. But it's good theology because it raises the question, what does Jesus mean to me? What value does Christ have in my spirituality and how relevant is Jesus now? We might want to try to wrestle with, with the language of Norman Geiser who raises the issue of the historical Jesus. Is, is Jesus left in the pages of the past of Palestine or in the words of Cornel West, can the Palestinian become contemporary where he lives among us right now? Grandmama and granddaddy knew nothing about that kind of lingo. All they would tell you is, all I know, he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me that I am his own. They're trying to tell us that all I know is that Jesus is all the world to me. And whether it's a creep squad, no squad, don't care what kind of squad it is, the God that I serve, the Jesus, will handle them. He is the one who separates the wheat from the tear. So Jude's message is relevant. It's relevant. It's relevant enough that he tells us how to deal with the creep squad. One, he says, whatever you do, don't permit anyone to redefine the Bible's definition of grace. See, again, in verse 4, it says that they were attempting to turn the grace of our Lord into licentiousness. In other words, the word licentiousness simply means they were cheapening God's grace. And what Jude says, all I want you to do is just take a moment, just step back from all of the drama and just think about what the grace of God has done for you. And if you can 
Just think about how good grace has been in your own life. Don't allow nobody to cheapen grace because they may think that grace doesn't play a part in their life, but you know how grace has been kind to you and you know how grace has been elevating to you and you know if it hadn't been for the grace of God, you know where you would be. They might want to cheapen grace, but you better recognize that grace is costly because on the hill of Calvary, grace cried out, I love you, I'm going to save you no matter what you've done. And on top of that, I'm going to keep on saving you and I'm going to keep on loving you and I'm going to keep on watching out for you. And no matter how dark it gets, my grace is sufficient. My mercy is everlasting. Don't you let nobody cheapen the definition of grace according to the word of God. Come here, John Newton, and help us out. John Newton says, I will allow them to cheapen the grace that I know because it was amazing grace that had a sweet sound that rescued a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind but now I see. In John 9, there's a man who didn't, knew what, who didn't know what grace was, but he sort of gave us a foreshadow of how you ought to respond when somebody tries to cheapen grace. So here's a man who is born blind, and the disciples want to know why did he sin or did his parents sin, and Jesus says neither. But he says, watch this, God's going to get the glory out of what looks like blindness now, but watch what grace does. And so he interacts with this man and he looks down to the ground and picks up some dirt and put his own spittle in it and then applies it to the man's eyes and says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, if you just park right there for a moment, you got to ask yourself the question, if the man is now already blind and you put some dirt and spittle on his eyes, he already can't see how he going to get to the pool of Siloam. Talking about grace that will lead you when you don't know how you're going to get there. You don't know if I should go to the right or to the left. You don't know which way I'm going to take. But grace will lead you where you need to find your divine deliverance. And if that weren't enough, he gets there and washes his eyes and comes away seeing. And once again, the creep squad showed up. The Pharisees said, hold up, wait a minute, whoa, 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 wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. How, 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 how you gonna come away seeing who, 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 who gave you sight? Was it this man, Jesus? He, 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 he ain't religious enough. He hadn't come to the school of the rabbinics. He, there's no way in the world he could have did it. And that man said, hold up, wait a minute, let me tell you a little something here. Before you say anything, they threaten his parents. And the Bible says his parents says, we don't want to get into this because we might be put out of the church if we have to tell the truth about who really is a creep squad. So they said, he is of age, ask him. That boy old enough, he can answer his own question. They start questioning the man, who helped you send the man? Said, hold on, look, look, listen. 
whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. I, I don't know anything about soteriology. I've never been to the school of rabbinics. I know nothing about salvation. But one thing I do know. He, he, he's, never, he's never brought an offering to the church. He's never repented. I, I know nothing about repentance. I know nothing about bringing an offering that I might pay for repentance. But one thing I do know. Oh, hold up. He, he, he's a sinner because he has not been ordained or consecrated by the rabbinic community. Oh, I know nothing about clergy nor anything about ordination or consecration. But one thing I do know. Whereas I was blessed to my grace. In other words, the man said, I'm not getting into that religious talk. I'm not getting into legalistic talk. I'm not getting into all that other stuff y'all get caught up in. One thing I do know. Whereas I was blind. When I woke up this morning, I couldn't see. But I came in contact with the man who can bring life. Whereas I was blind. Now I see. All I know that a man named Jesus touched my eyes, made me whole, picked me up, and turned me around, and planted my feet on solid ground. All I know was a man named Jesus. So the man said, y'all... Y'all can try to cheapen grace all you want, but, but the grace that I know keeps on lifting me up every single day. So whatever you do, says Jude, don't let anybody redefine grace as it's told for us in the Bible. But watch this. Secondly, Jude infers, don't take granted, although God has wiped the slate clean your past. See, what Jude meant when he told us in the text that they were beforehand already marked out for condemnation, he says if they had really stopped and took a look at their life history and recognized that all along the way they could have been dead sleeping in a grave somewhere. But God's grace one more time kept them on the journey and Jude says to us if you can't get through to them trying to help them understand don't cheapen grace don't you misunderstand how good grace has been to you and go out and make a fool of yourself and thinking that grace will always come to your rescue why because Paul says God will judge you Go back and read Romans chapter 1 when God constantly tries to bring about an awareness that your behavior is out of the will of God. Paul says what God will do is turn you over to your reprobate mind or turn you over to your vile affections. In other words, God will let you go down that path and continue to stay down there because you have taken for granted how God has wiped the slate clean in reference to your past. 
So in other words, Jude says, whatever you do, every time you think that grace is not sufficient or that you have a right to take advantage of grace, just sit back and remember how God wiped the slate clean. And he argues that if you really want to take a deep look at this thing, just think about if grace would reveal your past to the public. If God somehow would allow all of our history to be known by everybody else. But the psalmist says, and I'm so glad, I'm so glad that my sins are as far as the east is from the west, and that when God buries them, his grace buries them. Or Jude might be suggesting to us that we might want to shout. Here, here's a shouting point right here. I mean, I mean, if this don't make you shout, I don't know what will. Here, here's a shouting point. We, we should be shouting because God never brings up our past. See, you and I, you and I remind each other of our past in the sense that when we get mad at each other, we're throwing it in each other's face. But God never brings up our past because it's covered by grace. So Jews said, don't take it for granted that he's wiped the slate clean regarding your past. But then there's a final thing. He says, don't permit anyone or anything to replace or to reduce, to reduce Jesus as Lord and Savior in your life. So there's a suggestion that those who crept in, the creep squad, had brought in another form of Jesus or had highly suggested that there's another savior other than Jesus, that there's another mode of salvation other than what Jesus provides. And Jude says, you got to watch that because they will change who Christ is to bring about their own self-grandizement. They'll put Jesus off of the throne and put themselves or someone or something else on the throne. I learned something revolutionary yesterday, but not really revolutionary. It was sort of re, how should I say? It was sort of a refreshing, refreshing, that's a better word. Uh, so I was listening to the preacher. We, we did these presentations, and the preacher said, here's something the preacher said. I, I don't, I, he threw me off for a moment, then I got to think about what he said. He says, first of all, I don't like prosperity preachers. So, you know, that helped me stand up in my seat. I'm like, oh, shucks, let's see what his brother going to say. He said, I don't like them because uh, there's a special place for them in hell. I got to thinking, oh man, that's kind of judgmental. He said, here's why. He said, here's why. They go around telling people that if you are living right, there is an escape clause from trouble. But he says, let me remind you that when you're living right, God will put you on the front line of trouble. I, I got to thinking, well, hold, hold on. That, that, that ain't, that don't sound right. I'm, I'm thinking, if I'm living right, there's a hedge all around me and, and trouble might, might come in, but it's going to bounce off because I got this, this hedge of protection. And then he must have been reading my mind or something because he said, and just in case some of y'all thinking about Job, let me go to the story. 
And then he said, remember now, Job had a hedge all around him. And read the text, Job chapter 1. He was living right. The Bible says he was the most noblest man in the whole community. He was doing God's will. But look what God did. Put that joker right on the front line of trouble. Allowed his family to be lost. Allowed his riches to be lost. Allowed his health to be lost. Allowed his communication with his friends to be lost. In fact, his friends sort of turned his back on him and really left him all alone I got to thinking I knew that theologically but I ain't never seen it from that light before God puts him on the front line so then my question is God as I'm looking at Jude verse 4 why you let the creep squad in in the first place kind of keep them out there's some things I can't protect myself from because I don't have the insight or the foreknowledge to do so. And God says, that's why I'm your Lord and your Savior. Because I know you don't have the insight nor the foresight. But that's why I put you on the front line. And I went down the list. Lord, I got a whole lot of the preachers I can recommend for you to put on the front line. I mean, um, you know, I... Either one of these will do. But then I went back to that line in Job when God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? The nerve of God to recommend me for trouble. Have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered my servant James? Have you considered my servant Mary? Have you considered my servant Martha? God recommends you to be on the front line of trouble. Because there God proves why he is Lord and Savior. So that when trouble arises and God knows you can't fight that battle all by yourself. He allows us to reside and rest in the words of Isaiah. No weapon. It's not just a weapon form. Read that verse further. But not even a thought can be formed against us. Do you recognize that? I mean, that means that the only way somebody can say a statement like that, they got to be sitting on the throne of all power and all authority and be able to look out and say, ain't no weapon out here going to be able to form against my servant. And then God said, to show you how bad I am and to show you how bad he or she is, I recommend that you go ahead on attack them. Just go ahead on put it out. Go on attack them. I know they're they not going to understand it right now, but wait till I bring it out. And is there anybody in this place this morning that God has recognized and has recommended you for trouble? And you didn't know how you were going to make it through that storm. You didn't know why God put you in that place. You didn't know if God was going to show up. But look at you now. You survived the storm. You survived the trouble. You survived the heartache. You survived the death. You survived the unemployment. God's grace has proven sufficient because as Lord and Savior, he's watched out for you. And Jews said, that's how you deal with the creep squad.
They're going to be there. They're not going nowhere. But you can deal with them. And you can be victorious. And Jude said, you ain't got to worry about trying to. They're already marked. They're already marked. And if the Bible has any truth, I've got to believe that when Jesus says, whatever is done in the darkness. So all of that scheming that they think they're doing behind closed doors and all that conniving. In fact, that's what the word creep really means. The word creep, who's a bit uh, uh, insensitive and who's cunning and who's crafty. Jesus says, all of that stuff, I'll bring it to the light. And that's how how you deal with the creep squad. Because they're not going nowhere. In fact, we might argue that they're the ones who keep us praying. See, because the creep squad are the ones that when you go to sing that song, and while you're singing that song, you think about how God delivered you, that the creep squad make you shout that song so much so that you can feel that song. But without the creep squad... You won't know the meaning of if it had not been for the Lord on my side. Tell me where would I be? He kept all my enemies away and let the sun shine through a cloudy day. And then he rocks me in the cradle of his arms. See, you you won't know that if the creep squad don't attack you. I got to let you go. If I had time, I'd tell you a little bit more about the creep squad, but I, I, I got to let you go. Because there's another word here that Jude tells us in this last line about how they, de- how they deny our only master. There's a sermon around the word only. There's a word that Jude has around about only. Because the creep squad want to replace the single Lord of your life. See, that's what the creep squad does in love and hip hop. These four men are masters at replacing whoever is the Lord of these ladies' hearts. They replace them and put themselves on their throne. And that's what the devil does in each of us an attempt to dethrone Christ and place himself on our throne's hearts. And if we're not discerning, he gets the best of us. Says Peter, keep your eyes open because he's like, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Lord, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. For indeed you are our strength 